The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, I'd like to say a few words here before I dive in. First off, it is a tremendous honor and a privilege to serve at this church as one of the elders. Uh, I've been one of the elders for about a year now, and uh, we're going to start our elder retreat this afternoon, a second time, and I, I genuinely look forward to spending time with these guys, so it's a, a privilege and honor. Secondly, it's a huge honor and a privilege to be up here and teach and preach, and I would hope, the right word is I would pray, that you ask God and pray for me that you'll hear his word and not mine. Yes, I've, I've prepared nights and weekends and mornings. Nights I don't enjoy so much. I'm an early riser, but I've, I've diligently prepared. I've made sacrifices to be ready for this first sermon. Let's be honest. Somebody in this church is thinking, oh, great, first sermon. <laughs> What's on my smartphone that looks like I'm taking notes? Well, just for those of you who think this, I have some good news. If my wife and kids were her, my wife's in the children's area, she's probably more nervous this morning than I am, but they'd tell you this is by far not my first sermon. <laughs> those of you who are fathers and, and mothers and know what I'm talking about, or those of you who have been around me will know what I'm talking about. So I, I've called them conversations over the years. They've called them sermons or teachings. So just a real quick view into my sermon slash parenting. It's about 10 or 15 years ago, our, our third son, I was preparing to tell him he was a good boy. And we walked up to our bedroom and I was going to tell Tony he was a good, so we met Tony, he'll be here in a few weeks. And I told Nancy this would be five minutes. Now, some of you that know me know I can't say hello in under five minutes. <laughs> so about 25 minutes in and feeling like it was a little negative, my wife looked at me and said, Mark, I thought you were going to be telling Tony he was a good boy. So not only was I going long, it was going negative. So I, I, I will, won't go long, I've got it timed, and I won't go negative. But my point is, being the perceptive father I was at that point, I knew Mrs. Fiore was saying, shut up. So um, I won't be five minutes, uh, but it's not my first sermon either. Anyway, I'm very, very happy to be up here. And at this point, I, I would like to uh, do a short prayer, and uh, then we'll go into the Word. Dear Heavenly Father, this is a normal Sunday, and we come to your house to worship you. And thank you that we can come into your house, and we can read your word, and we can pray to you, and we can talk to you as our Father. And as we'll talk about this morning, your strength is almighty. Help us never to forget that. So again, thank you for this time together. This is Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We, we finished up last week with a late therefore, and, and, and that's basically a warning or a, a pause. So anytime there's a therefore, um, I, I, I'd like to go back to it. And this week we start with another therefore. These, these therefores are a big deal. They're kind of like butts in the Bible. So when that happens, it's time to pay attention about what we just said. And, and the other thing as I get going here is I'd like to say context is huge when we're, re we're reading our Bible. So Let's start off by looking at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. It starts with, therefore, my beloved. So let's see about the previous verses because of the therefore. 
If you look back at 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13, which we were in last week, they read as, uh, as is. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Now, I'd like to highlight a couple points here. Are we special when it comes to temptation? Let's be honest. We already knew that we're not, but plain as day in verse 12, the Bible tells us so. It says, take heed lest he fall. Verse 13, now to address the who, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. We don't, we don't hear that. We, what we hear most every day is that we're special. You're unique. Social media allows us to like, equal voice, equal opinion. We're all equal. We're all special. Every day society yearns to tell us that we're something we're not, that's special. Now, for those of you sitting in here, especially the kids, you are special. You are unique, but not as the ads paint us. I challenge you based on verse 13, it's a real dangerous for us to think that we're special, we're unique. It's never happened before because it has, and it will. Now I'd say again, in, in, in 2017, many of us like to think we're really unique, and that's where our problems begin. I know from time to time that, that I do like to think I'm unique. And as I said earlier, we are special. God created us each individually. Our coworkers, however, and our friends and the, the ads that we watch and our social media tell us we're, we're unique and special above all. They, they, they surely do, and they will today, they will tomorrow. So let's talk about who's really in control. Real quick, we look at verse 13. God is faithful. That's a huge, huge statement. And many times we gloss over that God is faithful. In other words, he's true, perfect, been there, done that. Never, ever failed, never will fail. Enough said. You get the point, or at least God wants us to. He truly does. One last point. In last week's message, we were reminded how often we get impatient with the plan. We don't follow the plan. We have a better plan. The Almighty's plan will work better than our plan every single time. Now, on to this week's message. First off, I'd like to start by giving away the ending. Now, I'm used to that. Maybe that's a different sermon for you. But in, in my house, one of our grandsons gets to visit once in a while. His name is David. He's been here a couple times. He's 13. He loves to drive Grandma crazy. And I'm good with that because that gives me a break because I'm usually the one driving Nancy crazy. So he can do it all the time. Anyway, when he starts a book, he likes to flip the end and read the ending. It drives Grandma crazy, but he also knows how it turns out, and he likes that. It relaxes him. He likes to know the ending. So why not drive Grandma Fioli crazy one more time today? Sorry, dear, sort of. She's over the kids, I think, so. Anyway, on, on to verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. Now, the term, when I was doing my research for this, the term beloved, Paul uses, but the people of... Corinth and Paul did not agree a lot of the time. Remember the church, as Justin had reminded you last week, the church at Corinth was three years old. I like the analogy, it was a mix of Vegas and New York City. Now that's quite the, the perfect mix for any new Christians in the U.S. to be in Vegas and New York City. What could go wrong there? 
Perfect starting place. <laughs> Not for me. He called them beloved, and I think this is a real message for us. He called them beloved as a courtesy. And he was being responsible to God for his actions, his duties, and the word. So I'd like to start right there. When we are disagreeing with fellow Christians, do you and I keep beloved on our hearts? If not, we should. When we are teaching younger or less mature Christians, do we keep beloved in our hearts? It was widely known about the immorality of Corinth. In fact, they had a Greek verb called Corinthianize. <laughs> not exactly a compliment. <laughs> it, it came to mean to practice, to practice sexual immorality. Not how I want to be remembered. So, how do we dress people around us who are less than beloved? Who is it we are responsible to when we speak? If we speak, it's God, of course. Who is it that when we... And who is it that we see when we speak? It's God, I pray. Paul knew the answer of all these, and beloved is the way. Now, onto the flea idolatry. As a Christian, I have to flee idolatry in my life and live for Christ. Justin's mentioned this many times, but just kind of a necessary point here. We, we flee idolatry, we don't do this for justification. Christ completely filled that on the cross. We, we flee idolatry because we're living for Christ. It's part of sanctification. That's why we flee idolatry. Again, and I, I like the line from Justin last week, we were reminded we do not fight sin for our salvation, but we fight sin because we have our salvation. Now, back to the verse about fleeing idolatry. Let's look at a couple biblical references to back this up. And I'm going to go through these quickly. They're not on the screen. John 10, verse 5. The stranger will not follow, but will flee from him. For they do not know the stranger's voice. That is active and ongoing. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual idolatry. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Again, that's continual. 1 Timothy 6, 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Again, ongoing and pursuing. 2 Timothy 2.22 So flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, ongoing and pursuing. Do we really understand this is part of our life to stay? Do we really understand that we are not to cozy up to idolatry? Do we really understand we are not to test God with idolatry? The scriptures over and over state, flee it's, and pursue God. Now, this is not just to the world. In fact, Paul's words are more to the church than the world. And if you think about it, we are biblically promised we will have to flee things. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the Word. Now, I'm not just being the bearer of bad news here. We clearly hear, as I just quoted, we are also promised things to pursue. And again, since this is active, it will be ongoing in our lives. You see the trap for many of us as we get older. 
is we get comfortable. We think, well, we don't have to keep fleeing or, or pursuing because I'm a pretty good Christian. And if you're younger than me, man, how did everybody get younger than me? <laughs> the, the term elder isn't just about a physician anymore. <laughs> I don't know when that happened. But the trap, if you're younger than me, is, well, I'll relax. You know, I'll get better when I'm older. I, I got bad news, buckaroos. Ain't going to happen. I said, look at me. I, I, I say this a lot when I'm having coffee with younger people. I thought I'd be better by now. I really, I'm 56 years old. Now, I hope when I'm 76, I still think I'd be better by now. I hope I never get to that place where I think I'm all that because that's a real dangerous spot. I have a good friend, he's sitting right down in front, who, who attends this church, another elder named Bob. And while he's one of the best at biblical memorization, which intimidates most of us that are around him, but he carries that humbly, he also has a hidden talent for being good at memorizing lines for movies. We got to hear a little bit of that yesterday at the, the community group leader meeting. But one of his favorite lines is from A Few Good Men. We all love that, a lot of us love that movie. And the famous climactic scene, Nicholson's on the stand and says something to the effect, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Well, the truth is in the Bible. The truth about fleeing is it's here to stay, and it will always be in this world the way it stands today. Thankfully, there is also Jesus Christ. And his goodness is what we are promised to pursue. We are to flee idols, and really idols are false gods. We're not to embrace, we're not to tolerate. Now, I want to speak about tolerance a little bit. It's a great word for us here in the 21st century. We hear we need to be more tolerant all the time. We've got to tolerate, et cetera, et cetera. I did research on, on the New Testament on the word tolerate. It comes up six times. You might be surprised. They almost, well, they all do refer directly to Sodom and Gomorrah. I didn't, I didn't know that when I was looking it up. Well, I'm not going to list them all. I, I have them in my, my work here. They come from Matthew three times, Mark twice, or once, and Luke twice. And in essence, what they refer to is how it would have been more tolerable to have been in Sodom and Gomorrah than in unrepentant cities. That's the reference in the New Testament to tolerance. Today, the word tolerance for many churches and Christians has come to mean acceptance. You're okay, I'm okay, we're okay. We here today as Christians be tolerant. It's the Christian thing to do. I'm just going to warn you, that could be a very, very slippery slope when it comes to the pureness of Christianity. We have to know our doctrine and not mix it with today's culture. Words like karma, which basically, I had to look this up, it basically implies, the first part's not so bad, my actions will lead to good things. We always tell our daughter, you know, make right choices, good things happen. Not so bad. But if the dark part of karma is this. If you are having bad things happening to you, it's because you've done bad things. So the next time you're tempted to use karma, I've used it, don't raise your hand if you have, that's not pure Christianity, not even close. And then there's my personal favorite, the coexist bumper sticker. Now, in case somebody has the coexist bumper sticker on your car, <laughs> I'm not here to preach at you. 
Well, maybe a little, but um, a lot of you don't know what that sticker is. So I, I looked it up again, and it's, it's evolved over the years. Uh, there's a good thing. It's a combination of symbols, different religions, pagan rituals, pieced together, spell coexist. And I'm going to come back to that sticker in a little bit. But on, on this, tolerance, I just want to say, we can be nice, but since, since Jesus Christ claims to be the Son of God, and He is, He is either the Son of God or He is downright a raving liar, a lunatic, a fraud. In other words, sinful. He's not a nice guy. He's not a good teacher because he claimed to be the son of God. He didn't leave a lot of wiggle room. Okay. So, we need to be nice to people, but that doesn't mean we compromise on Christ's life. It also doesn't mean we thump people in the head the first time we meet them with a Bible. Got to find a middle ground there. So, okay, what's, what's idolatry then? What is it today? Well, of course, uh, from then and now, then there's the golden calves, Baal, I'll probably butcher a couple of these names, Moloch, the Canaanite god associated with child sacrifice. That's nice. Uh, Dagon, the fertility god, Ashtara, the Easter goddess of Ishtar. Now then and now, unfortunately, there's money, sex, power, fame, family, time, security, gossip, computers, iPads, phones, stuff, you kind of, the list goes on and on and on. The trouble is for us, and Justin mentioned this a few weeks back, is back then they were actually called gods, idols. Now they're just stuff. I, I got a phone. I'm, I'm using an iPad here. I've got a family. We all need money to pay for things here. They're, they're not inherently bad. But I'm going to end this section with Exodus 23 and 4. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. So what else can be idolatry? And as Justin always says, glad you asked. What about the blending of the truth, Christianity, and paganism in the world? And I said karma a little bit ago. Do you say it? Do you believe it? You shouldn't. I, I'll slip in my business place and say something about karma. And when I was doing research on this, I was like, well, that has to stop, Mark. That's not a good message as a Christian man. And I don't hide the fact in my business that I'm a Christian man. The coexist bumping stickers and all they mean. Sounds nice. Who's hurt? Yeah, who's hurt? It's a nice thing. We all get along. Well, as I stated earlier, much of it opposes directly Christ's message. You see, there's a positive, but there's also a huge negative on things like that bumper sticker. Of course, the positive is people should coexist. We should tolerate and behave nicely with other peoples. However, the negative is the truth and non-truth do not coexist. One and one always equals two. Always. Doesn't matter how you feel, it equals two. Some other blending, just to kind of go through, church tradition over biblical principles. I'm not going to go into that, but Justin's gone over that in past months. Churches that now tolerate sin is okay. Toleration, again, equals acceptance. It could be used, and should be, that Christ does not take us, he doesn't take us and follow us. We take him he chooses us, and then we are to pick up our stuff and follow him. 
But nowadays, in many cases, turn it to Christ takes me, loves me the way I am. He bends to my needs, my wants, and my desires. He's like a big celestial dumbwaiter. That's the way many people want to use him. We take the Bible out of context. We use catchphrases of our convenience. We don't even know what the scripture says about it. Or, and I think this is a really deceptive one, the whatever way you get to God works is okay, but with many willing sacrifices or compromises. And, and these are just some of them. Me and God, no one else, I don't really need to be with others. Christ is sacrificed in some religions. I just need to get to God. Prayer. Ah, you know, does he, we already know the ending. Or do I need to talk to him? Does he listen? I don't, I, I don't have time to pray. Bible study, fellowship, discipleship, communion. We, end, we are in the end commanded to flee idolatry. So on to 15 and seven, through 17. 15 through 17, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of one blood. Now, Christians are loved by God. This blessing alone should bring joy. We should love serving Christ. We should love being of one body. And this seems to be a clear reference in, in my research to communion and what it means to be a member of the church. So when, when we take communion, and we're going to do it later today, what are we really saying? What we're, what we're really saying when Christ died on the cross for us? Let that sink in every time you take communion. Christ died on the cross for us. Let that sink in every time you're tempted to go against what Christ stands for, and you will be. Let that sink in every time you go, oh, what the heck, it's not going to hurt anybody. Nobody's here to see this. When we take communion on Sunday morning, as we will today, we are publicly stating as Christians and to each other that Christ died for us and that we love him. And then we walk out of here on Sunday and we're going to live for him for the next seven days, God willing. When nobody's looking and yet Everybody is looking. Can we have disagreements with fellow Christians? You bet we can. Of course we can. That's reasonable. We're smart people. I would remind us all of John 13, verse 34 and 35, though. In essence, what it states is, as Jesus loved us, so we should love one another. And by this, all people will know that we are his disciples. If you have love for one another, this is when fellow Christians are watching us. This is when our spouses, our kids, our grandkids are watching us. And of course, God is always watching us. Verse 18. Consider the people of Israel. Are those not who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Paul's basically speaking to priests here. And while I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, Paul is making a point. What altar are people sacrificing to? Okay, show of hands. How many made a sacrifice at the altar this week? I'm pretty sure we're going to get no hands, so I'm going to skip on by. I did, okay? But, and we don't need any hands here. How many of us read the Bible, attended community groups, discipled other, tithed? So by this, we are identified with whom we worship, aren't, aren't we? Okay, on to 19 and 21. 
What do I imply then? The food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Uh, kind of my first point here is, are, are the foods for idols really anything? Well, yes and no. Uh, of course there's something, and it's not good. But no, they're nothing of really internal value and, and when you compare it to the Almighty God. In, in Corinth, just to give you a little bit of background, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but the food was sacrificed to God, and yes, as, as Justin mentioned a few times, it was eaten, and mostly by priests. Uh, however, there was also meat sacrificed to idols, demons, if you will, and obviously that's bad. So, again, here, Paul's reference at the time was not to eat at pagan temples or pagan feasts. At the time, that was asking them to give up a ton. So I, I kind of said, well, what would that be like today? And if, if God asked us not be in these political or social gatherings, where would, where would we be? And I, what I want to put it is the kind of entertainment we look at, we enjoy or we watch. Well, there's just a little bit of swearing in this one, a little bit of sex, a little bit of violence. Now, we get our entertainment from movies, video games, online, etc. So I'm not going to speak to any one thing, but as, as we look at what we put in our lives, those can be our are turning into our social gathering. Sometimes it's just one-on-one, just you and a screen. Different websites. Hey, I'm just going to look this up for some reference. My friends do it all the time. It's not that bad. Blending with a crowd at work. This is one we all have to fight in, in, in my shoes. Hey, I, I don't want to appear like I'm a stick in the mud. After all, I do have bills to pay. This is my job. How far should I go standing up on this? I don't want to make a scene. As I read these three verses, really to me, it boils down to verse 21. And I'm going to reread this. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake the table of the Lord and the table of the demons. The point is clearly made here. You either serve God or you serve demons. And as you will hear in a minute, God is perfectly jealous, not like us. There's no mixing, no rationale really, no pleading of ignorance, not really. We all know, you and I, that we can fool many people. But at the end of the day, when I'm praying or you're praying, or not, God sees right through us. And, and come on, be honest. He knew that we would sin. He knows we sinned. And he knows we will sin. And yet, in the very famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16, For God so loved the world, he gave his, only, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So ask yourself something. If I were really honest, have we fled temptation? Maybe the better question is, how do I pursue Christ starting today? Have I made excuses too long that I don't have time to disciple? Now, I enjoy that area, but I didn't always do it. You've seen the last couple of years. You haven't seen the previous 30 have I made too long, excuses too long, that I don't have time to read the Bible? Now, if you're like me, at some point in your life, maybe now, you do this. Do yourself a favor today. Go home, open up Matthew, open up John, 
get your clock out, time yourself. It'll take you three, five minutes tops to read a chapter of the Bible. That's it. No more. You'll be shocked. You have time to read God's Word. Men in business, women in business to travel, stay-at-home moms, single parents, three to five minutes. When I said I didn't have time, I had time to watch football games. I had time to work out. I had time to play with the dogs. No, I don't have a dog here today. He comes next, he comes next week, not on script. So uh, Next Sunday he'll be here. Uh, now, I don't want anybody to think I'm being legalistic here. Because we're not. But the Word of God is sitting in most of our houses in 15, 20 places. And it, I'm going to speak for myself here. There's been times where my Bible got really dusty. My wife's probably never has. <laughs> but mine has. And that's embarrassing to say. Have I made excuses not to pray with my wife every day? This one I struggle with. We prayed this morning. I think we prayed more for my wife's nerves than mine, but, you know. Um, we don't, Mark and Nancy don't do that enough. How many of us don't spend time raising our family, nurturing our kids, helping, and I'm going to speak to a lot of dads here, helping our spouse or our wife with their duties so that they might have extra time in the Word? We get busy doing a lot of things, not time to help our spouse. You see, the challenge for fleeing temptation in life is really twofold, but really in my mind it's onefold. Chase Christ with every ounce of energy I have, every drop of blood that is in me, every single emotion that I have. There will still be temptation in this world. It'll just become less and less as Christ becomes more and more in our lives. Okay, we're almost there. Verse 22, let's just finish up strong. Verse 22, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? That is the definition of a rhetorical question. <laughs> I hope I don't have to make that point. All right, let's look at the Lord's jealousy. Perfect jealousy in our God. Let's look at a few verses on God's perfect jealousy. And I'm not going to read all these. I'll, I'll uh, list them verbally here. But um, you can easily look up Isaiah 42.8, Exodus 20, verse 5. Exodus 34, 14, Numbers 25, 10 through 11, Joshua 24, 19, just to name a few. For some of these verses uh, and many others I, I want to reference, but I just want to read one, Exodus 20, verse 5. Again, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father's and the children on the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. You see, God's perfect jealousy is really there to protect us. It's directed at serving us with our, our devotion to him. I looked it up. Really, jealousy when defined by, for God is more zealous than jealous. He is zealous for our hearts. Now let's look at the phrase, we are not stronger than God. Again, I'm going to share a couple Bible references, and I'm going to read one, but uh, clearly the, the, the Bible is filled with many, many references to God's strength. Philippians 4.19, Psalm 46.1, Psalm 118.14, continually throughout Genesis 1, 
Genesis 3, 14 through 19, a great couple of verses. Genesis 3, 24. I'm just going to quote one. It's the all too familiar verse. Starts the Bible off. We ought to have this one. But when I was doing research for this, I'm like, I'm amazed how much I gloss over this. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth. Most of the time, I read that glibly. I don't mean to. God created the heavens and earth. Oh, that's cool. I'll pray to him. I I don't mean to be glib. I hope you're not. But I too often am because I get busy or I've read it before. It's all too familiar. But let's be honest here. Most of my life, I have a hard time making myself do things I should do. (laughs) Having my children do the first, first time anytime I want them to do it. Having my employees or my staff do things that we thoroughly trained them on. God created the heavens and earth, and it's in one verse. And then you read the rest of Genesis, just read it again if you, if you read it like me a little glibly. It's, uh, it's amazing. All right. At this point, at this point, I just want to say, he, he's an all-powerful God. And we, we kid ourselves about how often we just, we just gloss over that. So I'd like to close here, and as, as Justin often says, and I like this line, it's impacted me. As we send you out this week, I'd like to leave you with the following calls for action, and I think they're going to flip these on the screen. As a Christian, I will have to flee idolatry in my life, and I will have to live for Christ. Those are choices that we have free will. We will have to do, and they're clearly spelled out in God's word. They will happen. Secondly, fleeing idols and pursuing God as an active, lifelong Christian is commanded. It's not optional. We may ignore it, but it's not optional. Third, you cannot serve God and serve worldly idols. And lastly, God is perfectly jealous for our souls and perfectly strong for our well-being. I'd like to close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your strength. Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for your love. Lord, too often your word sits on my shelf and I either don't make time for it well, or I've got to get this read, so let me get this checked off my list. It is your living word. We thank you on this day that we can come here and worship you, fellowship with fellow Christians. And we are so thankful that your son died on the cross for us. And while we try to become better every day, not for our salvation, but because of our salvation, we know you've taken care of that. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being holy. Thank you for being set apart. And yet we get to call you Abba Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.